Hey, I'm Kumail Nanjiani. Hi, I'm Emily V. Gordon. And wow, you're getting a bonus. This is a bonus episode of Staying In with Emily and Kumail. You guys have been good, so you get a bonus. Uh, This bonus episode is an interview with our friend David Chang, who is a chef and restaurateur. Restaurateur. Also an auteur. He has a show on Netflix called uh, Ugly Delicious, which is one of my favorite shows. I cry watching this show. Not that he's not, but what makes an auteur? I mean, okay. I don't... Let's keep moving. <laughs> um, someone who does things differently. Goods. Does things good? <laughs> does things good. He's an auteur because he does things good. Um, yeah, we recorded an interview with him and we it was we kind of ended up chatting for a while. I will say that um, he, you'll hear on the episode, he's on the phone trying to grab Wi-Fi where he can to talk to us. So the quality, don't yell at us about the quality. We did our best. And I will tell you that the first three minutes, the quality isn't great. And then the quality improves. Yes, but it's not. I don't think it'll be so bad that it'll make you want to tear your eyes out and throw them at a bus. But perhaps, um, yeah, we couldn't have them in studio. Turns tear out, tear your eyes out and throw them at a bus. <laughs> wow, I don't think I've ever been that upset. Oh, I get that upset on a. How on are the you going to see the bus if you've torn your eyes out? Is it a stationary it's a st- bus? It's a stopped bus. It's not a moving. Not bus. a bus stop. It's at a bus stop, maybe. You gotta hurry before all the customers get you on. You gotta, you gotta rip your eyes out fast. I don't think I could rip my eyes out that quickly. Okay, mm-hmm. let's get back. In all this. right. Oh, sorry, the bus is gone. <laughs> um, it's a lovely, it's a lovely conversation with a lovely man who is very passionate about the restaurant industry, obviously, and very passionate about food. So we wanted to talk to him about that in this new day and age. That we, we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to hear about where the restaurant industry stands in this new day and age, as you just said, and we wanted to. Get some cooking tips from him. Like, how how do we take care of ourselves? How do we do a good job cooking when now all of us are cooking a lot more than we... Uh, perhaps not all of us, but some of us are cooking more than we're used to. So With less ingredients at times. Yep. Less ingredients at Enjoy times. Enjoy this conversation with David Chang. Hey, Dave Chang. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. As good as can be. It's been a pretty uh, brutal day, a brutal week or so, but uh, I'm hanging in there. And if you, what, what, uh, where in the world are you located currently? Um, I am not in New York. I'm staying at a friend's place, and I have like six family members here that are stuck because they can't fly. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I have uh, uh, there was literally no room, and uh, I asked a friend if he could help out, and we're literally all here. But the Wi-Fi there is terrible, so I'm calling you outside a liquor store in the car. <laughs> you know, the way that most of us are these days. <laughs> oh, wow. You're, you're hacking, on your cell phone. I'm hacking into the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling my cell phone from a Wi-Fi uh, near, near a liquor store that I've, I've, I've hacked into. These are essential services. <laughs> this is what they meant when they said essential services. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I thought of, we thought of having you on the podcast because you were so vocal tweeting about people in the service industry who are going to be so hit hard, hit so hard by this. Obviously there are so many people that are going to suffer, but I feel like that, that sort of subset of people, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. uh, Apart from all the, the actual sickness, this is one of the big fallouts of this thing. Yeah. I mean, I've been keeping tabs of COVID-19 for a while because I have friends in the industry in Asia and obviously tracking and how it's decimated their industries and their restaurants and ways of life. And I don't know if it was a disconnect, but I knew it was going to come here. But like, no matter what, like I still wasn't as prepared as I hoped to be. And, you know, I'm still processing why I wasn't like being louder about it 
because I, I guess I was afraid people were going to be like, you know, Chicken Little a little bit. But That's what Camille's new nickname um, is, in fact. That's what I call myself. I've been calling myself Chicken Little. <laughs> and, like, I was really scared, but I, I, I didn't want to cause or induce panic. So um, I, I, I knew what was going to happen. And then it did happen. And no one wants to hear the hyperbolic sort of tone of this will be the doom of your business. But it really is here. And, um, you know, whether people realize it or not, restaurants are a high cash flow business. So you need money constantly in your doors in order to pay, you, you know, your employees and you have low margins. And it's just set up. Or if you're not open, you are going to hemorrhage money. And, um, and, and it's not only that. There's been some great articles written about uh, the sort of chain reaction. It's, it's the restaurants flow from quick service restaurants to small mom and pop restaurants and everything in between. The, the, the economy is going to be shut down because. Think about the people that do the laundry, mm-hmm. the cleaning services, the trash, the fishmonger, the butcher, the farmers, the, the people that make plates. It's like it's an entire ecosystem that surrounds the actual restaurant. And it's not just employees and hourly employees and documented and undocumented workers that lose their jobs and benefits. And it's literally everybody. And I was like, holy shit, if this happened, I mean, I, I'm not an economist. I just don't see how this works. And it was pretty clear to me that no, there was no unified voice and there's no solidarity because, you know, we're a band of independent restaurant operators. Whether you have one restaurant or several like we do, um, you just don't have the cash flow to continue to pay people. Um, we just don't. And as much as I would love to, I just people think I'm way richer than I actually am. It's all my money was in the restaurant. So... You know, it's it's a it's a it's a crappy situation, and restaurants are hard to get loans even in good times. You know, I don't know if people realize that a lot of chefs have to personally guarantee loans or get investors to open up a restaurant because no bank is going to give a restaurant a loan um, because it's a bad investment and is considered by the economy as a like, quote unquote non-essential business. Hmm. And I was just really scared because I was like, oh, I. I think what's going to happen is everyone's going to get hurt, but the people that have representation and huge balance sheets and are, you know, seen by the world as important businesses like banks and hotels and airlines and cruise ships, they're going to get paid first because, you know, they're, they're, they're well-oiled machines, particularly in the lobbyist sector and whatnot. And there's no organization on our end, even though there's a lot of solidarity, we don't have the, the mechanic to sort of mobilize our opinions and in, 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 in a time of need. So I was really scared that help would come, but it wasn't going to come to restaurants. Yeah. And that's it. There's no lobbyists for restaurants. That's not like a, that's not a thing. I mean, I, I there's a national restaurant association, but like, I think they, their, their interests aren't always aligned with independent operators and, you know, that's that's it. It's like most restaurants that you go to, if they're not a chain restaurant, are literally owned by, you know, someone that is in business for themselves or the, you know, like there's no coalition, you know, and 
So th- there is no lobbyists. And I know that chefs were scrambling to figure out how to get lobbyists. And when I heard a number was being thrown thrown around to get a lobbyist was three hundred a half a million bucks, <sighs> I was just so mad. I was like, "How could some human being not try to do this pro bono?" Is beyond me. Yeah, and you know, it's um, it's uh, the restaurant. As someone who obviously goes to restaurants all the time, loves restaurant world. You know, food is such a way too important a part of my life. I'd never actually thought about the restaurant industry and how it sort of sustains itself until just now. I mean. I obviously knew, you know, uh, since I was a little kid, I'd go to a favorite restaurant. And if their people weren't there, I would get like sad. I'd be like, oh, this place isn't going to last. But I haven't thought about it's the first time that I've thought about like the entire restaurant industry as a whole, where it seems like, as you were saying, big restaurants, small restaurants, everybody, everybody's in a tough situation right now. Yeah. And, and it's uh, it's such a weird thing to think about um, because it's never happened before. It's hard to contemplate. And Um, you know, people need to understand that we're as vital to this economy as the banks and insurance companies in 2008 that got saved by the government. And, you know, that was the hashtag too big to fail. And a lot of people rightfully mad at these banks and institutions because they got us into this mess. On the other end of the spectrum, we didn't, restaurants didn't do anything to get us into this mess. You didn't do shit. Yeah, you guys didn't do shit. Everything, you guys are blameless and yet also are like, we, everybody desperately misses you, desperately needs you. Yeah, we were watching, we started watching the new season of your show, Ugly Delicious. By the way, people at home, if you haven't seen Ugly Delicious on Netflix, it's an amazing show. But I will say, when we started watching... So we're watching your fried rice episode, which is the first episode. And I got so, like, I got this curious mix of, like, anger and sadness and, like, it was like seeing an ex-boyfriend on screen, just watching people sitting around a table enjoying food at a restaurant (laughs) emily started bawling like it was that first scene of you know alan yang is their mutual friend of ours and and uh uh, food critics and and uh chefs and stuff and you and emily i looked over and you know your show makes me cry i i told you this before i've cried at your show before but i looked over to the right we're a few minutes into the episode and emily is bawling i'm in a fetal position just crying and it, it just hit me quite hard i was like that is something I think all of us maybe took for granted is is how important just sitting down to eat with friends in a in a public place, how important that has been to all of us. No matter the amount of money you have, if you're like going to a, a, a Denny's, if you're going to one of your re- like it doesn't matter like where you are. Like that's something that I didn't realize how much I was going to miss. Uh, and it's only been a week and a half. <laughs> It's like barely been any time. Uh, so it was hard. I, we had to turn that episode off, unfortunately. I, I'll, I'm going to get back into it. I, I finished watching it. Okay, um, you did. And I, I love that episode because it sort of gets to what your show is, obviously. You know, I love food shows, cooking shows, but your show really captures sort of the social aspect of food and the cultural aspect of food. So that episode's about mm. fried rice, and you guys really talk about how. Um, racism against Asian people sort of fits into Americans' enjoyment of uh, Chinese food. And many, many episodes are sort of like that. The fried chicken episode from last season was also Mm -hmm. really good. Um, That's what I love about the show. I've never seen a show like that that's really about... Uh, the cultural how food, parts of it, yeah. yeah, and how food brings us together. And it because we take it for granted, but it's about community. It, it has always been about community and telling stories over food is one of the sort of like I think that's that's like part of humanity. And you know, and I, I mean, for like everyone else, I've been critical of Trump because you know it is important what you eat, and 
this has a direct correlation to what the stimulus package is or the lack of support from a federal government's end because, you know, Trump eats fast food and he doesn't want to eat food from, say, Ethiopia or, you know, Mexico or countries that he just, you know, is, you know, afraid of trying new things. So if he doesn't care about that, he doesn't care about the people there, why would he care about uh, a restaurant you know, that's trying to make some food from a region of the world that he doesn't care about. Why would he want to save this restaurant? And that's what is so frustrating. And, you know, I think, I honestly think you guys are artists and, and unique in the way that the art you make, the food you make, literally becomes part of the person. Like, you literally consume that art. It becomes a part of you. There's no other artist that really has that uh, I mean, you can't, but you'll get kicked out of yeah. the museum. <laughs> right, yeah. I tried to eat a Renoir once. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Uh, but, but basically, that it really biologically becomes part of you. Do you have any suggestions? We, uh, one thing that I will do now, because I don't know if I have, I've been suggesting to people personally, but I'll do now, to buy a gift certificate to their favorite restaurant now, if that restaurant is not open for takeout. Uh, just a show, a way of showing support for that restaurant. Do you have any other thoughts on what people can do to support their favorite local restaurants? Yeah, I, you know there there are a multitude of things you can do. Gift certificates is one. Uh, I, I would say almost every restaurant that I know has a GoFundMe page to support their employees that are that is true currently out of work. Um, but but there is one suggestion that I think you can do that won't actually cost money right now as, as important that is, as it is to support our the employees and the hourly employees. I think it's to make sure that you call your congressmen and your senators to ensure that restaurants, small businesses, and people that don't have the voice get heard. And, you know, you may not think that matters again, but your local restaurant that you love so much is needs to know that the government is looking out for them. So, Call the Capitol Hotline, the switchboard. It's 202-224-3121. And just tell them that they have to support this restaurant because the stimulus package is going to happen. I still don't know what's actually in it, but they have to follow through because if we don't take care of these hourly employees in this time of COVID-19, I'm really scared about America and the world over because we don't want people to die. We don't want people to feel uh, scared. And um, these are the people that make up our restaurants that make food for everybody. So it's, it's wildly important. Yeah, we checked our, there's a little diner around the corner from us, very, very small diner that we would eat at two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a GoFundMe page. Emily sort of contacted them and was like, hey, what's going on with you guys? They said, we have a GoFundMe page. So we donated. And then um, we got food from a restaurant you know very well, Jitlada. Yeah, we called in, went in. It was so heartbreaking to go there. You know, you, I'm getting emotional. Going to Jitlada, the experience of it, part of it is like... You're going to wait. I hope there's a table. <laughs> I hope, you know, it's it's going to be like packed. We went, it was empty. The door was locked. They let just one person in. I went in, got food for the week. We spent... We, 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 basically, we spent a lot of money just so we could eat because just, we were missing it so much. Because we had just sort of cooked for ourselves for two weeks and just been eating the same exact thing and then getting this food felt like it felt like like a miracle and she's the best um that restaurant and you know that's that's exactly that like you know jitlada is an institution and we're gonna lose some of our favorite places and and not just lose like people need to be ready that 
maybe your favorite restaurant or restaurants may not open up again. And there's a real reality. Like that's a, a more probable outcome. I don't know mm. how many restaurants are going to survive. And people are throwing numbers around 75%. Oof. I actually think it might be 90% of all restaurants. If we don't get adequate aid, um, we'll never reopen their doors because it's just impossible. And I don't want to live in a Los Angeles without a gelada. Nope. Me either. Yeah, we uh, when we went over to this diner bias, we were we thought that they might be open for takeout, and they were fully closed. And at the start, I was like, "This may this place may never open again. This I might not. the last time we ate there might have been the last time we ate there, and we didn't even know it." I think we all take for granted that like we want stuff now, we want it convenient, we want it, we want all that stuff. And I think for too long we've kind of not, as a group, we have not been thinking about all the people that have busted their asses to give us the food that we like. So and this you know, is a good wake up call for that. A terrible way to do it, but a good wake up call for that. We've had, we've all had, I would say, you know, if you can do it, um, try and support your local restaurants. At the very least, you can call your congressman. We've all had so many amazing memories at restaurants. You've fallen in love. You've proposed to people. You've broken up. All Andy's. Sorts of we things. fell in love at Andy's a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that was a restaurant in Chicago. <laughs> in Chicago called Andy's that was like Persian food. And that was our first day. And mm-hmm. we go by there every time we go back to Chicago. There's yep. so much, so much of so many great memories associated with so many restaurants. I mean, it's it's hard to fathom, man. It's uh, it's so tough to think about. But um, you know, there are restaurants that are doing delivery, and that's a whole nother debate. Like restaurant tours and chefs and owners have been presented a real moral dilemma to close your doors. Um, and not get income so you might like not be able to help out your employees or remain open to do delivery but expose workers to potential you know covid-19 and that's it's a really tough dilemma and i i don't blame anyone for doing any decision because it's not a good decision either way but you have to do what you have to do and if you do order delivery i encourage people to tip very well tip because like they're hell. doing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. tip like hell and you know don't do your best not to order from delivery sites. Call the restaurant up because delivery sites are taking 30% of the top line revenue of a restaurant. And I, I just find that to be not right, especially in this time right now. So um, call the restaurants if you can. And I know that a lot of restaurants are doing delivery. The lines are busy. but And I unfortunately, and I, I don't have the stuff in front of me. But I know one of the delivery services was going to waive those fees for the restaurants. I think I will look it up. Yeah, we'll look it up. I, um, I don't have enough information. All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. What we did, so, you know, obviously food is a big, we we go on dates, all this stuff. So what we did last week was we cooked at home. We got dressed up and we sat down and we had like date night at home. Um, And for us, it was a little bit challenging because neither of us are like great 
cooks. cooks. No, absolutely not. Not great chefs. This is the most we've cooked in a long time. So we wanted to talk to you and see, you know, there are a lot of people who are sort of dealing with limited ingredients at home right now, or they're intimidated by cooking. Um, do you sort of have any general tips for people, how to sort of demystify the process a little bit, how to reuse ingredients? Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what I've been focusing on for a while now as a home cook, because I've recently never cooked at home until the birth of my son. So I've been cooking a lot at home and I've discovered all these new tricks. Um, but first things first, it's hard to get ingredients right now. Yes. It, it really is. Um, so you got to make do it. And I think it makes you really appreciate what you had. And I, and I want people to remember that when we come out of this and we will to, to, to appreciate when things are going to be good again. And, and when you go out to dinner or make stuff at home and right now I don't have eggs at home because I decided to <clears throat> blow them out for a big custard that I made, a savory custard that I made for my family for breakfast. And I'm feeding six adults and one baby. So like, it makes me like sort of freak out about trying to get enough food. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a weird thing to say in 2020. Um, but I think it depends on what you have in your fridge, but I think most people are, have pasta. So that's an important thing. I think every fridge, you should try to have some type of cheese or Parmesan. And because like, even if it's not like a fancy Parmesan, it's still going to be good enough. Making cacio e pepe is one of the easiest dishes in the world. It really is. Um, and there's tons of recipes, so I don't even have to tell you what the recipe is, but that was like a go-to staple in terms of a chicken. I think stretching something out i always try to make chicken soup yeah and it's pretty easy in my opinion i I know i'm saying it's pretty easy but trust me i i think it is because you put a chicken in a pot you cover it with water and you boil the hell out of it (laughs) and then you add some salt to taste and you can add some celery onions garlic if you wanted to make it more of a traditional chicken soup or you can add shiitake mushrooms and and noodles and soy sauce if you wanted to make a little bit more asian And the other thing that I've been doing is using a lot of frozen foods, a lot of frozen vegetables, and uh, and a microwave. I cook with a microwave a lot. Oh, this makes me so happy. My mom would be like so excited. She would make scrambled eggs in the microwave, which I don't know that I would recommend. (laughs) You can actually make a pretty nice custard in a microwave. If you you reduce the power of a microwave to 30%, keep it covered. You can actually make beautiful eggs. Okay. All right. Well, I hear you. I, I don't think your mom was reducing. Yeah. The, the way that my mom was doing it was not turning out that way. <laughs> um, yeah. We've been like, so we've been cooking. You commented on this. I was so excited when you commented on this. I basically made like biryani, which is my favorite dish, but I made it with cauliflower rice because we didn't have rice. And also, you know, we were, we just have like, um, I'm just trying to find healthy versions of the things I love. Um, and obviously some people got upset at me for that. Uh, but I also, I'm also like, we have like, I have like a history of, uh, like high cholesterol and high blood pressure in my family. So I'm trying to figure out, I have both those things, even though I watch what I eat, I exercise Your every body's day. body's really jacked. I, I just, I'm trying to find versions of the food I love that I grew up with that I can sort of eat without, you know, um, having that sort of health thing be an issue. And then I'd put jalapeno peppers in there because that's what we had. And someone was like, oh, you didn't use like real chilies. I'm like, it's hard to get ingredients right now. We had cauliflower rice and we had jalapenos. So there you go. And and that's the best advice you can give to your listeners. Exactly what you did. Screw the recipe. Make it delicious. You know, like that's all that matters. And that photo looked amazing. I bet you it was delicious. It really was. 
Yeah. And who cares if it's not authentic? We're in an epidemic. I mean, I made I made a tomato sauce the other day. I put it on Instagram, and I have Barilla pasta, which isn't like a fancy pasta. And I got a bunch of comments like, oh, Barilla pasta? And I was like, it's all they had at the market. Screw you, right? And I was like, come on. And then I added chicken bouillon to my tomato sauce. People were like, in hot, they were uh, aghast at like the, that I would like file Italian cuisine. I was like, I don't have Parmesan. This is all I have to add flavor to this. My goal, number one goal and everyone's goal is exactly what you did. Have a memory of something you want and do your best to make it as delicious as possible and screw the rule book. And, uh, it'd be cool if this like ushered in a new like trend when this is all over, if this ushered in a new trend of, of food that's like all stuff that was born out of necessity from this. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. yeah. But that's actually what food has been to begin with. Almost all food that's delicious was born out of necessity. Yeah. And uh, honestly, that thing I made was really, really good. I think about it. I've been thinking about it since then. It was it was really, really good. You know, it, you bring up an interesting point. I used to be different. Like when I was when I was a kid, I ate a lot of Pakistani food when I first moved to America. For me, anyone anyone that tried to sort of change that food was really upsetting to me, right? Um, I, I didn't like that. I was like, it has to be authentic. I didn't like fusion food. I didn't like people making substitutions. I wanted it to be exactly how it was. But then over time, I've learned, obviously, food, there's a lot of creativity to it. And if people want to take different influences, put them together, as long as it tastes good, that's what matter, matters. And it's, and it's honestly kind of beautiful. You're creating a new thing out of these older things. That's exactly. And, and you guys did the beautiful Apple show and, 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 and it's literally is like the same thing. Like my mom came to America and she moved to Virginia in like 1969. God, I don't even know how she survived. And she needed to make Korean food and there's no Asian supermarkets. So she improvised. You do the best you can with what you got. And that's just the way it's got to be. And authenticity is important to preserve culture and, and tradition. But given the circumstances Making delicious food in this moment is more important than getting it perfect and right. That's so yeah. true. So, I thought of this while watching your episode about uh, uh, you were t- uh, about okay. fried food. You were talking about American Chinese food. Do you know? Th- have you ever had Pakistani Chinese food or Indian Chinese food? I have. I you know, unfortunately, in the last season, this season of Ugly Delicious, we cut out a whole like segment of Indian Chinese food because it's amazing. It's I love so it. good. Yeah. And that's what you know of. That's what I know. That and, it's, was, and it's different than um, what American Chinese food. It's yeah. a different beast You know what entirely. we called it? We called it Chinese food. <laughs> Just like you guys called this Chinese food. <laughs> but it was guys? always like sweet and sour something was a big stable, like beef with green chilies. Chicken 65? Big... No, we didn't have that. It was chicken corn soup. Everybody got chicken corn soup. You know what was interesting? And I went to one of these kitchens and it's like, I can't remember the name. It was one of the most famous Chinese restaurants in Mumbai. And I went to see what the staff was eating because, like, staff meal and the employees is always, to me, like, the best meal in a restaurant that the paying customer never gets to eat. <laughs> and I saw them making, like, northern Indian food, like, on the border of China. Like, that's where a lot of the cooks were from um, or closer to China, I think. And they were uh, – oh, no, no, I'm not China. Vietnam uh, and Southeast Asia. They were making, like, their – Indian food from that region with Chinese ingredients. That's so cool. Wow. 
Yeah. That's exciting. I'm going to pitch you the idea for the show I've had for a long time, which is I want to do a travel cooking show where, because you sort of see like the influence of food as you go from like, you know, uh, Far East to like India, Pakistan, even over to Africa, then how sort of the... Like a uh, paratha type. Yeah, like paratha is, is in so many different cultures. Like we have samosas and then in Africa, parts of Africa, they have sambusas, which is a very similar thing. So I want to trace the history of how these spices sort of went around and how it influenced all the food like you could see like thai food is sort of like has some some elements in common with chinese food some elements in common with indian food so i want to do a show at some point where i just travel around tracing the whole history of the spice trade that would be a beautiful show and i I think about it all the time and um there are a lot of amazing stories that you know, I think have only been told in like academic settings. And I think TV would be a great place for you to tell these stories. I'd be excited to see that. I will also say he pitched this to me on our first date at Andy's. Literally, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. We talked about this on our I first date. I have problems with follow through, <laughs> but I will get to it. Um, well, um, well, thanks so much for talking to us, man. This is really, really helpful. And your advice about cooking at home, I, it's, it's so good. It's like whatever ingredients you have, Try and make something good. Yeah. Because I, I found, like, for me, I'm not a great cook at all. I used to cook a lot. I used to cook Pakistani food all the time. And I didn't really measure stuff. I would sort of go by taste and things like that. And sometimes it would be great. Sometimes it wasn't as great. But I think that's part of the excitement for me. You're really make- good at being creative with cooking, which I not everybody is, for sure. I would put in, like, new different things. I was like, oh, I like this taste. I like this taste. Let's just see how it goes together. And sometimes it would be a disaster. And sometimes you'd find something that was awesome, you know? Like, I just made French toast. Um, I don't know how you feel about rose water. Where do you stand? I, I think... With French toast, I think that would be delicious with the sweetness and a little bit of cinnamon. What's a little cardamom, a little rose water. Yeah. Yes. I put in, brilliant. Yeah, a little bit of cardamom, a little bit of rose water and French toast, because those are like things that, you know, Pakistani desserts use. And it's, it's a flavor yeah. I love that I never get to taste. But, why would, but that's the thing. Why would that be bad? That sounds amazing. It was very good. It was delicious. <laughs> it was very good. So so I that's great advice. Just try and make something delicious from what you have. Get creative with what you have. Call your congressman uh, or congressperson and let them know to and, save the restaurant industry. And tip like hell. And tip like hell. Thank you. That's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us and uh, enjoy your time with your family, which you're getting a lot of. <laughs> a lot. Uh, a lot. Be safe, guys. Yeah, same All right, to you. you too. Bye-bye.